Welcome to the Party Crashers. We're your hosts, Lori James, Nikkei Lewis. We're chatting today with Lori Hall and Jessica Lane Alexander, founders of Poppin Creative. Poppin Creative is a multicultural agency focused on digital and social content creation and experience design. A marketing collective, Poppin Creative was born as a result of the founders' exposure to tone-deaf pitches and witnessing brands fail miserably with diverse consumers throughout the years. With a collective 25 years of experience, Hall and Lena Alexander's primary mission is to help brands authentically connect with high covert multicultural audiences. We're so excited to have you guys here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. So why don't we just get right into it? Tell us how you guys met and what led to starting Popping Creative this year. Yeah, so it's a funny story. So we go, we go way back. Uh, <laughs> so we've actually worked with each other for several years at this point, and two on two different occasions. And so we first met uh, uh, when we were working at for Turner Broadcasting. So we're at TBS and TNT, and I started out. TBS and TNT was my first job um, out of college, actually out of undergrad. And so I came and joined uh, Lori's team as a like a T three, basically like an extended kind of like not an internship program, but post grad, like almost like a training program. And yeah. so I joined her team in the training program way, way, way back in the day. And that's kind of when we first met uh, <laughs> for the first time around. And then we transitioned and we moved different. We moved away and did different things. Then we came back together at TV One. <laughs> I begged her to come to TV One. It wasn't just we came back together. I begged her to move from Seattle, a great job at Microsoft. I said, hey, can you please join me at TV One? I was like, you are the only person I know that can rock it out and kill it. Please come. I need you. Yeah. That's awesome. So what kind of led you to like, you both have like so much experience in the industry. What led you to stepping out on your own? It's funny because we talk about this a couple of times now, and I was joking with Lori because Lori never remembers that I brought this up way back before, like we were at when we were at Turner, like oh we should do this, we should do this all on our own, and she was like yeah yeah, and so I brought it back up within TV One, like I think we should really, uh, you know, while we're working there, I think we should really think about what we can do together on our own, and I so I think that that's kind of where the spirit of the idea was. It's like we've been working for companies, we've been working for brands, uh, and we just really saw the opportunity, like where could we go next? I know especially for me, I. You know, I was, my husband just moved down to Atlanta and I needed to move down to Atlanta. And I just really wasn't really excited about the job prospect and what I wanted to do next. And that's the biggest thing. Like as we have these careers, we're going good. And then it comes a time where you need to evaluate, okay, I want to press forward. I want to grow. What does that look like? And I just kept coming up short in terms of opportunities and where I was going. And so I was like, well, maybe I can kind of do this on my own. Um, So that, and I kept pressing Lori, I think we can do this on our own. I really do. (laughs) I feel like we can use our powers for good. <laughs> and might not be the first like, time, the second time I'm good. Maybe yeah, the third time too. <laughs> Exactly right. You know, um, I was, you know, working at TV One. I was there for five years. And, um, you know, Jessica was oftentimes my right hand person. Like I could always count on her to um, do something extremely well. Like she's a, a flawless executioner. She's a great strategist. She has everything that I would look for if I were trying to like replace myself. Um, and when you think about going into business with someone, you want to go into business with someone who complements your skill set and who's going to, you know, bring something great to the table. Um, we each have our own unique uh, styles and things that we bring to the table, but it works so well together that I could not have imagined 
partnering with anybody else but Jessica. So when she brought it back up and I was getting kind of creatively, um, you know, I, I don't want to say frustrated, but I was, my creativity was, was stalling a bit, you know, budgets everywhere across the country were cut with companies. Companies were really tightening the bottom line. And a lot of times when they do that, marketing budgets tend to be the first things to cut because it's such a high cost and a high expense. So, you know, you can do a great job with smaller budgets, but there gets to be a point where you can only do so much. Much. And I was giving everything I had, but I still felt like I wanted to do more. Um, and so when she brought it back up, I was like, you know what? We can do this. <laughs> we, we could absolutely do this. So we did. Um, we decided to partner together. And literally, you know, it's just been a huge blessing to be in business for ourselves, even in a pandemic. So you guys created this resource guide as the first thing. Was that like your first intention was to always like create that resource guide or was that out of the fact that, you know, pandemic hit? No, no, we, that resource guide was really like born out of passion and born out of like just conversations we had. We're a digital social first creative agency. So our intention was always to do great creative, great storytelling first. We consider ourselves masterful storytellers. Um, so when, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, started heating up and, you know, when George Floyd was killed, which was such a horrific, tragic, you know, accident, well, he was killed. Um, I, don't, I don't even want to say accident, but he was killed. Um, we talked about how brands started responding and we would go on and on round and round about who was doing it right, who was doing it wrong, who did a great job of messaging to consumers, et cetera. And we just had the idea to turn it into a resource guide. And we felt like that was our contribution to the movement. Um, you know, everybody doesn't have to be out there in the streets, you know, um, to show that they're contributing to the movement. We wanted to contribute in a way that felt significant and meaningful to us. So when we created the resource guide, um, you know, a lot of people asked us, are you charging for that? We were like, no, we're giving this away because we want brands to do it right. We want them to do it better. We don't want brands to make these missteps that some were making in terms of saying we're down with the Black Lives Matter, but then internally, you're not even thinking about how you can promote black people or do right by black people in terms of access to economic wealth, access to um, you know higher decision-making things, like anything. So we said, let's just go ahead and do this. And this is going to be our contribution. And we're gonna do whatever we can to help companies get better. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like everybody's had that conversation um, just internally with their teams, uh, you know, across all industries, trying to figure out what your contribution is to the movement, because people assume that you have to be on the front lines, you know, and then not everybody's capable of doing that. So it's it's definitely awesome seeing so many different people come up with creative ideas on how to like best support the community and the movement, you know, like even doing a podcast or even right. you know, like everybody is hitting the ground trying to figure out what their part you know that part is on the bigger picture and it's it's just awesome to see like, you know everybody coming together yeah for sure and those like companies i'm sure they didn't even know how to even react so i think that this was a definitely a big huge help for them what did you find the most surprising about the response to this guide was there anything that like kind of stood out to you 
I know for me, I was just really surprised at just how many people, like they were past lip service. So I was just excited that so many people wanted to actually figure out like, no, I really want to, I really want to solve for something. Like I really want to see some change um, because I feel like, you know, as marketers, sometimes we're a little bit uh, uh, jaded and we're like, okay, yes, we know everyone's going to come out and say, oh, black lives matter, black lives, you know, we need to stop this and that sort of thing. But the fact that people came out and were actually like, no, I really want to increase my commitment to how we dismantle racism. If I can't dismantle it outside of these four walls of these companies, how do I dismantle racism and just implicit bias within these companies? And so people are actually wanting to try to figure it out. And I mean, this is no small feat to try to figure out, understanding how years of oppression can kind of break free and how we can make sure that people of color are, are all throughout the levels of an organization. And so people are like, no, I, I'm really trying to figure it out. Like, I really want to know how, are there steps in here? Is there a one, two, three right. guys, how we can break this and make this happen? Because I'm really trying to, and I am stuck and I don't know what to do. And I need resources, I need help, and I need advice on how to make that happen. Or even sometimes, even just having the conversations internally. Cause you know, sometimes it'll, it, it'll be like one person or a group of people that champion it and you have to get other people to get on board to really try to change an organization. So it's like, how do I, how do I create that coalition? How do I get people on board? How do I break this down to people in a way that they aren't turned off or that they don't immediately put up those walls of defense? Cause we know that's a common thing when we talk about racism. People want to be like, oh, I'm not racism. This, this doesn't, this doesn't concern. I have black friends. Well, <laughs> I questioned based off of that, though, because I have a few friends that work across, I'm not going to say their companies, obviously, but they, you know, some that are in the beauty industry, some entertainment, some, you know, and HR in different industries. And they've had a few, you know, issues across, you know, overseas about not being specific or being a little tone deaf on how to approach it. Mm. You know, like they'll they'll say like we're we're offering this program, but they're not giving actual numbers of like how many people they're putting yes. programs, whether uh, you know what steps they're taking. So, are you guys? Do you guys feel like you know your approach is giving them the you know the actual, or do you think it's smart for people or brands to actually mention specifically what they're doing, or just kind of give a broad overview of like here's our you know here's the what we want to do, and not have to get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, we actually think that it's great for companies to be transparent. The more transparent you are, the better. Um, we also understand that companies will be hesitant sometimes, especially if their numbers look pretty bad in terms of diversity. They be, they'll be hesitant to share those numbers. Um, so we understand that too. But the biggest um, misconception, I think, um, and we talk about this often, Justin and I do, the biggest misconception by companies is that, you know, if they're transparent, then people will cancel them because their numbers are so bad. And I don't think that's the case. I think that being honest and transparent and saying we need help, we plan to do better, will only buy you more goodwill from the community, um, especially if you elicit help from the community. Hey, guys, our numbers are pretty trash. We would love to reach out with you. We're going to work with, you know, such and such and such and such to try it to do better because we need to do better. And I think those companies are the ones that I have the most respect for because they're they're transparent, despite the uncomfortable feeling of knowing that you're not doing a great job. No one likes to have a light, you know, shine on you saying we're not doing a great job. But the companies that are OK with that are more committed to progress than they are to uh, performance and, and, you know, just performance. But the way I mean performance is really what they're doing 
as it, as it looks outside. Um, so I think that's a really um, positive thing that companies can and should do. If you can't be that transparent, at least be transparent with your internal folks and say, here's where we are internal employees and we need to do better, right? So even if you don't release it publicly, do that internally. And I think something Jessica said is so important one thing that surprised me about the resource guide, it's not an exhaustive list, first of all. It's its its a guide. It's to help you. It's not every single thing you need to do in order to start to dismantle racism because there's so many things that everyone needs to do to dismantle racism. Um, but one of the things that surprised me was how much internal employees of color wanted the guide to back them up in terms of what they were saying so that they could have an outside expert say the same thing they've been saying internally all along, but because they're internal, sometimes people don't believe them as much or give them as much weight. The external resource guide makes it seem authoritative because it comes from experts from the outside. And I think that surprised me because as much as I thought it would be helpful, I didn't even think about it being uh, kind of that extra push that people needed just to prove that what they were saying was right and good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I thought fear there's a lot of fear for people to speak out um black people or brown people in um corporations they are being looked at as the voice of all black people yes. you know to hold up and hold the pressure you know and the weight of the whole movement on their shoulders but then there's also the other side of like allies within organizations feeling too scared to speak up so just think if they speak up and say the wrong thing then everything's going to go you know to hell and the company's going to go down with them in flames because right. of their, you know, choice of words. Yeah, I will say we've had um, a lot of allies approach us uh, from inside corporations and ask us to present the resource guide to them and their executives. Um, one company in particular, a white woman, took it upon herself to ask her executive leadership to tie compensation to their diversity efforts. It wasn't something that came from the top down. It was her internally saying, no, we need to make it that important. And so she, alongside other coworkers, some of who are black, some of who are white, some of who are other nationalities, Asian, et cetera, they pitched that up to the executives and the executives said, okay, you're right, we will do that. But I think what I'm proud of overall with this movement is that a lot of this change is coming from inside uh, in the employees. A lot of this is from employees rising up and holding executives feet, you know, kind of to the fire saying, we need to do something. You can't be silent. There was a, a huge uh, media company who had employees that said, you can't be silent, Mr. President. Where do we stand as a company? And I know this person felt very uncomfortable um, because this, this president wanted to do it the right way, but I'm so proud of the effort of the employees internally because it's because of their push that the company responded to such a critical matter. And I think that's important. There's obviously a problem. There was obviously a problem. So we definitely needed something to help stand next to yeah. the people that were working for these corporations because clearly their voice wasn't being heard first. Right. In, in the beginning. So and we we'll needed in the guide. to amplify yeah. it. What we say in the guide is assume you have a problem. Yeah. Just assume yes. it. Yes. We will all do yes. better if you can assume is. that you might be contributing to racism by, you know, internal things that are happening. Just assume you are. That way, no matter what, we're going to do better. Right. Exactly. And that guide out to every Karen across the country, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
just assume you have a problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So switching gears a little bit, what is like one of the crossroads that you had in your career in getting here? And like, what happened when you chose one path over another? Good question. I guess I'll start because one of the bigger crossroads that I feel like I've made throughout my career is just like this, this choice to go back to business school full time. Uh, and I know that there are a lot of people there. I mean, there's a lot of choices on the table. And so this was one option that I really kind of like danced around because of course, especially kind of in the entertainment marketing field is you don't necessarily, the, the direction I was going, I didn't necessarily have to go back and get a full time degree, like in terms of take on this debt, take on these $100,000 loans to go back full-time, which is, I'm very thankful um, that I got into the Kellogg School of Management and then I got my full-time MBA program, but that was a like a big decision. And I kind of like, I don't think I could be here and I don't think I could have built this, you know, built this agency alongside Lori had I not gone back to business school. So like it did equip me with the skills and network and the resources to help make the big leaps. Um, it's like, cause it's not like sometimes you all, you always have that nugget that can make it happen, but sometimes you need a platform to make the leap or sometimes you need that extra push to make the leap or that extra skill set to make the leap. Uh, and so I do feel like uh, I, you know, I probably would have just, I, not to say that I wouldn't have gone anywhere, but I would kind of would have been chugging along in the direction that I was going, but I feel like because of business school that opened my eyes up to two, not just also the entertainment, the media and marketing space, but to other kind of areas in terms of this larger business world, but then just like the network and the like background and the backdrop. And then I feel like I always have like a brand like Kellogg School of Management on my back to say, okay, who, who, who I need to know someplace, I need to know a person here, I need to know a person here. And I always have a way to figure out how to get in, how to get in contact with someone from this area versus that area. So between finance and brand management and CPG, and then all these kind of services and professional services as well, in terms of the consulting companies, I feel like I know someone someplace, or I know how to get to someone someplace uh, in a way that I probably would not have, I would not have had access to had I just stayed on my, uh, stayed on the normal path that I was and just kind of stayed as a marketer um, within Turner Broadcasting. So I don't know what that would have looked like, but it would look very different from where I am right now. <laughs> That's interesting that you say that um, because a lot of like statistics are showing that like black women are very educated. They're going, they're going off and doing their masters and they're finding that it's harder for them as they're getting highly educated to actually get um, a higher paying job after they got their MBA. So it's really interesting that you say that you think that it actually helped you kind of build those skill sets and open networks and things like that. Cause I haven't heard that specifically from um, someone that has gotten a higher education yet, but that's, that's great to hear. Mm -hmm. I guess that goes to show too that everybody's um, path is different. So it's not a one size fits all and people, you know, they, as soon as you, especially when you go off on your own and like, all right, you need to go get, you know, your master's or your PhD or whatever. And it's like, maybe that's not the right path for everybody. Sometimes it, it shouldn't be. might not even be the right path, period. You know, there's plenty of moguls or captains of industry that are doing just fine and didn't go to, you know, college, period. So, you know, there's something to show for that as well. Everybody's path is their own. Very true. I tried to go to B school, uh, business school. I, did, I took the GMAT prep two times, never ended up taking the GMAT specifically. I think uh, it's hard. I yeah. hated it. I hated it. <laughs> really, I, it was crazy. I, I, I literally had two different tutors. I did two different, you know, uh, workshops on it, all of that stuff. And then my uh, tutor, who was amazing at the GMAT, like he just, <laughs> Indian guy, he was lovely. Um, he said to me one day, he said, 
well, you know, when you go to business school, you know, it's so important that you do this, you know, because when you go to business school, you'll come out and you'll be making six figures. And I looked and I was like, I was like, I'm already making six figures. I was like, sorry to disappoint well, you, sir. I know. I didn't tell him that, but I was like, well, <laughs> I'll put that on the back burner for a little Thank bit. I was torn between paying the high expense of business school and um, not. I felt like I love learning. I love, love learning. I hate being held to a schedule in terms of doing my homework and group projects and then on top of work. So it was intimidating for me in that regard. Um, so I ended up not going after all. Um, you know, I would have loved to have gone to Kellogg like Jessica. That's our alma mater, Northwestern. So I went there for undergrad as well. But um, I ended up saying no. And I tell you this, I'm getting the best MBA education I can get right now being an entrepreneur and having my lovely co-founder having an MBA, an MBA. <laughs> She's guiding us and I'm, I'm getting the crash course in it. Um, uh, with uh, entrepreneurship. So it's actually turned out just fine in the end anyway. Yeah, for sure. Do you think, Jessica, that the timing that you, in which you did your MBA kind of helped so that you could use those skill sets right away? Because I did my MBA back when I was like 25. So I wasn't able to uh, like actually use those skill sets right away. So I think that maybe that could have helped you. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that, that the timing is definitely a, a factor in MBA because I do sometimes feel like the more you, the closer you are to using the skills uh, and is the better. And it's funny because just talking about MBA, I feel like the skills that were most important were not the skills that I thought were most important going in. So like you go in, you think, oh, I'm going to have all these like masterful analytics skills. Like I don't know what I thought I was going to do, but it's not what it, that ended up being the important stuff afterwards. It was really about be, building and leading teams and how do you gather, like how do you get coalition building? How do you like find people and network and how do you press initiatives forward in these big organizations because you know in corporate america is not like just you and i coming up with something you got to have a rally a team to say yes to something before it moves forward so it was all the kind of soft skills and the leadership skills and the professional development skills to me that actually became the true value of the degree and not like anything that i was reading about in like a book it wasn't like a math book or like an equation that was going to give me the secret sauce to be successful so but i feel like you have to realize that and then also I feel like that type of skill set is is uh, better used further along in your career so like when you get to the point where you have to try to get people on board and you have to make those presentations to senior level executives like you gotta get to that point before I feel, I feel like it's really effective so yeah for sure I'm with you on that timing is definitely appropriate so do you, yeah, so you think more, it makes more sense just in general to, if you're going to pursue an MBA to do like the executive MBA programs versus just going straight out of school then? Well, it doesn't have to be executive, but I definitely don't recommend straight out of school. I would say between like the 25 and the 30, the 25 and 30 is probably a good time to go. Um, so you have enough experience to know to be dangerous and enough, you know, so it's going to be benefit for you. Um, but then you can kind of build on it and grow. So just like, if you guys wanted to like hire somebody to work for your, well, actually, you know what? Let's go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can you guys talk a little bit about your agency and how, like what exactly is the day to day and how you go about like, you know, acquiring clients? Like, what do you do for your clients? Like are events involved in that? Like just kind of run us through what I guess day, a day in a life looks like. And then the second part of that is, um, 
you know, if somebody was to apply for a job, you know, with you guys, what kind of skill set? Because I feel like this kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of skill set would be needed to work at Pop and Creative? Yeah, so, you know, the day to day in the life of Pop and Creative, we're a digital social first agency. So um, we are always scouring digital and social platforms for what's trending, what's hot in pop culture, what's interesting. Um, we, we have different ways that we communicate. We have, you know, obviously group text, we're on Instagram, et cetera, but we try to mine um, what's hot in the, in the culture right now, because that's one of our strong suits. Um, from, a, from a client basis, we have a list of uh, potential clients that we go through each week in our team meetings, uh, which are Mondays. And um, we go through the ones that we'd like to pitch, the ones that we're actively working with, and the ones that we need to follow up with. Um, and that keeps our finger on the pulse with making sure that we're always mining potential new clients, but also not letting um, potentially interested clients um, fall by the wayside. The follow-up game has to be real when, when it comes to busy For people sure. <laughs> working today, right? Especially in, even in a virtual world, especially in a virtual world, just because someone doesn't get back to, to you doesn't mean that they're no longer interested. You have to follow up and be genuine and say, hey, can we still connect on this? I know you said you were interested in possibly working together. Can we present our capabilities to you, et cetera? So we have a strong team um, of women. We are women-owned, women-led, and we feel like that's our magic sauce, too. Yes, we and, are magic. <laughs> but, but, and we are popping. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we we um, try to make sure that we're all following up on different things. I think our, our team has such a great complementary skill set across the board. Um, so we have uh, folks who are working on active clients, folks who are working on um, new clients, et cetera. And we just go through, you know, a project like we would any other insights, um, research, um, thinking about creative brainstorming, really bringing our thoughts together um, and where one person might not think of something, the other person will. And so we have this beautiful collective. That's why we say that we're a multicultural marketing collective, um, as well as a multicultural marketing agency, because it's really the collective talents and expertise and insights of the entire squad that that gives us that you know unique perspective on all of the projects that we do for our clients if someone was supposed to like open an agency or wanted to open an agency like something like yours what would you say that they would need to start in in order to build that um, experience to get them to being comfortable to open an agency like yours oh uh, that's a good question I feel like the the big the one of the big skill, skill sets, especially from the agency business, because it's a client service business, is you got to have that client service spirit, number one. Uh, so you have to be willing to, because, uh, you know, it's about, you know, as a, as a client facing business, it's about them. It's not about you. So you have to be willing to be like, I, I see your problem. I see your challenge. And I want to walk hand in hand with you to figure out how, what's the best way to approach it, to solve for it, and then build a creative experience around it. Uh, so you really have to be willing to partner. You really have to be willing to listen. You really have to be willing to understand each client's business. So like if you work at just for one company, you really only have to understand your one company, your one business, or if you're a company with multiple businesses, but your company's perspective. Um, but coming from an agency space, I have to be able to understand a bunch of different companies' perspective and 
treat each of them unique. They're they're all our babies, <laughs> and they all require a special. Uh, they all require special attention. They all require a, an understanding and a relationship with them to understand their business, what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and then also, uh, which is the you know success of agency. How do I bring something new to them that they haven't thought of or they're not kind of considering? And so that's kind of the challenge for us is not only knowing them, but then be able to know know them so much that I can offer them something new and novel that they would appreciate and that they can incorporate into their business. So it's really a, uh, it, it's, you really have to be, you really have to be interested in learning and interested in learning and, and building and growing alongside, alongside another partner. Yeah, I totally echo that. I think that's a, one of the biggest components ever. You have to take off the me, 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 this is what I think should happen and put on the hat of what would you like to happen? Here's my recommendation, but it's completely up to you. Um, and sometimes it's hard for creatives to separate their own um, definition of success from what the client's definition of success is. Um, and so you really have to do that well. You also need to think about your business as a business. So, you know, it's super helpful that Jessica has an MBA. We went through so many um, templates and putting together like pricing and margins and things like that, you know, things that you need to do to operate your business before we launched. And I think that really helped us. And even still today, you know, there, um, you know, is something that we need help on. We have great agency partner friends who help us in terms of understanding what to do in certain scenarios if we haven't experienced that yet. Thankfully, we have 20 plus years of marketing in the entertainment industry behind us. So uh, experience also definitely helps. You yeah. need to a few things you need to you need to know some things it's kind of like going to the doctor you know you want your doctor to have seen a couple of situations before they try to diagnose you you know and the more practice you get the more experience you get the better it's going to be for your clients so i would say between having client service capabilities like making sure that you know how to 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 discuss with clients talk to clients manage your client relationship to having uh, expertise or experience in that industry overall, to like being a great student and learner of whatever industry your client is in, all those things together, plus, a, plus knowing your business will help you start an agency in the right way. Um, so I would, I would suggest definitely take the time to see if you have those components before starting something. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, I could imagine that you're probably pitching to a number of different brands and you're going to have to be able to research all of those brands and what their guidelines are and what they, their marketing kind of objectives are, and then kind of come up with the creative. So you're, you're, you're really doing research plus creative, all of that. Do you think that that was that mind was developed through your past experience? Or do you think that that was something that you're naturally like just, you were supposed to be in the entertainment world? Oh, I was supposed to be here. I went to law school first thinking I want to be rich and be a lawyer. And I got there and I was like, wait, 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 this is not what I wanted to do. Um, I saw Oprah. I, it, I was a rap from there. I knew I wanted to be the next Oprah. Um, I didn't know what capacity I was going to work in entertainment, right. but I knew that I loved it. I loved being on sets. I loved um, different creative explorations. I loved how fast paced entertainment is. Um, but I do think that, you know, over time, I wouldn't take back my experience for anything. Like from Turner Broadcasting, TBS, TNT, TCM, to Up TV, to TV One, I've learned something different and unique at every place that has only compounded to help me have this very full picture 
in terms of marketing and entertainment today. And we even have non-entertainment clients as well. So not all of our clients are entertainment clients. Um, so I think at every phase you get stretched and that's what you should be looking for in any experience you have, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working for someone else. If you're not being stretched, if you're not growing, if you're not finding that something is a challenge and then you have to go figure it out, then you're probably in the wrong place. Right. right. You want, you're not you want to feel that excitement. Like, I love it when I get a new project. We're working on something now. When I get a new project and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to research everything about this because I'm so fascinated by it. That's what you should feel about your work. And that's also what we look for in people too. It's like, if they can't get excited over the stuff that they're working about, like I, I'm so excited that I have to know more. I have to learn more. I need to know the most about this platform. They're not the, they're not the person for us. Yeah. Yeah. It is a fast paced industry. I mean, you really have to want to keep up, um, you know, and it's okay. It's not for everybody, but for those that are self-starters, you know, you are, you know, just passionate about learning and passionate about getting it right and figuring it out. Those are the special ones that we're looking for. Like you're making me really sad because I'm like, my background is in agency. So that's all I was doing. So I'm like, please, I need it. I need it. it. It's a thrill. It's a rush. It's like, you're at the top of the roller coaster. And I've said this before, I think in my, in a past episode, but it's like, you're literally climbing, climbing, and then you're at that top. So I completely get it. And it's hard to explain it to someone. Cause we were going to do, um, like some reasons why we love event production. And it's just like, I couldn't come up with these words to describe the amount of like, yeah, it's something, but it's, it's special. you gotta be willing to run and jump into the roller coaster car. You yeah. can't like casually walk. It's like, you gotta be racing to it, jump in, let it take you up and then be ready for the ride. You know, right. like it's like broken this. All right. I'm going to fix it. Like, let's go super cape on. <laughs> that was <me> production. <laughs> guys ever felt like a moment I guess where you didn't feel that spark or if you had a time and I you know both Lori's and Jessica too like just you know what yeah you had that moment where you're just like what am I doing like why am I in this industry yeah. you have when, to lift yourself back up when it's time for me to move on from the place that I'm at at the current moment I get this restlessness like it's like this extreme like creative boredom and restlessness and then I'm like oh god I've got to figure out something else what am I going to do now I need to figure out my next move and I always know it's time to go when I start feeling that way and then usually it probably takes about six months you know for me to figure out whatever it is going to be you know my next step but when I start to feel that way I, I don't get scared anymore I'm just like okay it's time to posse up time to figure out that new thing because when you're creatively bored um, as a creative person, you're not using your fullness for the job anymore because you don't feel like it's no longer needed or maybe it's not warranted or maybe people don't appreciate it or whatever the situation is. But for a creative person at heart, feeling creative bored, boredom is like death. So, you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm not able to of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just you. I have to feel alive. I, I want to bring all of my ideas. And I have to say that starting Pop and Creative, it allows us to never be creatively bored. Like we have so many amazing clients, so many different projects. I think Jess and I look at each other sometimes like, why didn't we do this sooner? Right? <laughs> it was me. But, um, <laughs> you know, when we finally got there, it's like, oh my God, we have such interesting, rich 
you know, culturally like dynamic, you know, projects that we're doing. And, and not only that, we're contributing to society and to like diversity and equity overall. And it just feels so amazing. And I feel like this life was meant for us, even if we didn't know it, even if I wasn't sure of it back then, I absolutely know it now. Yeah, that's one of the things that I love about event production because I do get like very bored very quickly. And I love the fact that you can go from project to project to the next project and you get to finish it and see it come to life. And then you get to move on to the next one and you get to keep using your brain and expanding and pushing boundaries. That's what excites me so much about production. Like it's just different all the time. And I think that that, like, it's not something that people know that they're going to get into because I didn't grow up. I thought I was going to be a dentist, but I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a producer, but you know it when you know it. Like you just have this feeling inside of you. So it's super cool. We're supposed to be talking about like this <laughs> premiere that you guys did, but we're getting like good gems and like having fun. Um, flow naturally. I know. So we, we definitely want to see if you have like a party crashing moment because we're called the party crashers. So we can't not a- ask you that question, but is there a party crashing moment in your career and your producing, producing um, careers, any events that you've done before we get into talking about the premiere that you just did? So party crashing moment basically is like something crazy that's happened or something like that you weren't prepared for, but you figured it out or didn't figure it out. Like it just was like the most insane situation that could happen. Well, (laughs) (laughs) the best one. (laughs) I know it's like, hmm, which one can you actually share? (laughs) Right. (laughs) She was like, "Uh, how can I share this without (laughs) Don't mention any names. <laughs> uh, so, well, I have I have two. I I do one one come a little bit way back in uh, a little bit further back in my career. Um, there's definitely a, especially when you deal with talent um, that they surprise you each and every moment. So you always have to be prepared. And I just remember this one time. It was like you know I pitched this great idea. Uh, it was a great idea for a music based series, and the art we're gonna have artists actually perform in this music based production. And so I got down there, you know, working out with their people all the time where they're going to perform these two songs is going to be like this. I've already got my music clearance going for these two songs. These are the songs we're going to do. And these are the songs they're prepping for. And I got there and the talent was like, I'm not performing that. I said, okay, well, well, you know, (laughs) well, you know, so-and-so is what you're going to perform. And they're like, I'm not performing that. I'm done that. I'm over that. If I perform that again, I'm just going to die. I said, oh, well, uh, (laughs) okay. Uh, So uh, meanwhile, I'm like panicking on the inside because I'm like, I already got this music licensing. This is what I came down here to get. I cannot pivot. Like I got to get what I came down here to get. I've sold it into my higher ups. This is what we're going to get. And now this person is acting brand new. Like, oh no, this is not what we're going to do. And so in those moments, those are the moments that you like, in, in, inward you freak out and you're like oh my god I could just melt in this moment but outside you have to be like oh it's cool it's cool talent it is all right well what would you what would, tell me what would you like to perform right and they're going on and on and on I'm like well so-and-so did not come to perform that um so so-and-so <laughs> cannot perform that so you lay it on me give me some more <laughs> oh I want to do x y and z I'm like well yeah no we're not clear to do that so you can't do that and so come to find out after all of that I feel like I feel like they were like wait trying to just haze me up because you know how sometimes <laughs> talent does that they're just like oh I'm just gonna 
because you are the person today that has is responsible for me, you are going to get all the shit. So at the end of the day, they still ended up performing the song that I asked them to perform from the very start after it was like, no, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't believe I'm going to do that. And they were like, okay, well, for you today, I'm going to perform this song. I will, well, thank you. I will praise God. I'm glad that you were uh, so gracious enough to perform this song that is your song, that is one of your top songs on top of that, that you were going to perform it again this time for me. I very much appreciate it. My boss does too, because now I will no longer get fired. So thank you. <laughs> But I mean, it's moments like that, like that really, that cuts the, you know, the not the strong from the weak, because that's not really how I want to say, but from the like, you know, you really have to be quick on your toes to figure yeah. out like in event, in production, anything that's kind of live in the moment, it, what will go wrong will definitely go wrong. And it's up to you to figure out how, when it goes wrong, how can I course correct this in the best way possible to get my end result? Because the stuff is going to go wrong. It's going to blow up. It's going to explode. It's going to not happen. People are going to be late. Everything that you can think of is actually going to happen. It's like, how did I prepare to, to meet those things before they happen? And how sometimes you just don't prepare for all things. How can I change gears and make it still happen regardless of what's going on? Those are the scary moments. Those are like part of the thrills seeking moments too. <laughs> yeah, you're scared in the moment, but then when you talk about it after, you're like, oh, I did that. Like we made it happen. Like, yep, magic woman again. <laughs> Crazy. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I have I had a moment when I was flying out to LA for a shoot. Again, talent related. Um, flying out to LA for a shoot. I was working with the manager of this super mega celebrity, like just mega superstar. Um, and we were doing a campaign. And so, hmm, who was it? And so, um, it's so funny. And so me and this manager had gotten really cool because I was always calling him like, hey, just want to make sure we're good, blah, 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 blah. He had certain parameters around which we could, you know, leverage the talent. So he's like, okay, you can use him in this way, but not in this way, blah, blah, blah. So I'm flying with my crew to LA I think we also had the Image Awards happening around this time. So I have like gowns and bags because we have to go to the Image Awards. And, you know, I just have everything going on. Meet a girl on the plane, talking. I see she's on our laptop. I'm like, I should, I should uh, work too. She's working on our laptop. I'm going to work too. I pull mine out, put it under the um, chair, get off the plane, realize that I have left my gowns on the plane um, and had to go back and see if they would go get them for me. Okay, so all good, fine. They find it go to the shoot and right before we're at the shoot, the manager calls me and says, oh, he can't do it anymore. I was like, what? Can't do what? <laughs> what can't <laughs> do? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not understanding your English at this point. And so he was like, no, nah, he just got tied up. Sorry, sis, you know, oh, we sis. gotta cut it. Yeah, and I was like, so like, ner I was like, oh my, I said, I said down like this, like literally you could have seen all the blood rush from my head down like here. <laughs> and I said, look, I've got a whole crew of people on the ground. There's no way we cannot not do this shoot. I have my boss oh coming to the shoot. God. He goes, psych, I'm just messing with you. And I was like. <laughs> I can't. I was, I was like, I just almost went out of character. You, you almost. Right. You <laughs> We get to the shoot, everything was lovely. I find out later that I've left my laptop on the plane. That was the whole point of saying that. And so laptop gone, of course, cause they never find a laptop on the plane. It just no. never happens. Um, but anyway, the shoot ended up being amazing despite all the craziness. And I literally thought I was gonna have to like tap dance, cut, cut everything, figure out how to recoup money, et cetera. 
But thankfully that wasn't the case. So that was my crazy moment. I'm like, please don't ever do that. Like I like I could have just passed out. I could have just like my heart. I know my heart stopped just now. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. The, the people I had working on the production, what's funny is they were so nervous about it too, because everything, they ju- there were just so many things that were just, you know, little things that kept going wrong or this or that. I, like the person who I had producing it, I thought that, you know, that person was going to have a heart attack. Like, I, I, I mean, <laughs> you just, you just get this sense of, we hope everything goes right. And, you know, before events, you can't plan for what might go wrong. So when the slightest thing seems to be going wrong, you're like, what? So. That's yeah. Funny. And you have to do it with a smile on your face. It's oh, like, yes. it's like, oh, really? It's burning down. Okay. <laughs> the whole brain has to go into, you know, it's like you're slapping yourself. Like, right. <laughs> it's like, smile, Lori. <laughs> yeah. And you got to be great under pressure. Like, let me tell you something. Please don't get into events or marketing if you don't think you can handle pressure, because this is a very pressurized um, industry and, and, you know, segment of, you know, corporate America, pressure is a real thing and you have to be able to have grace under pressure. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. It's not like we're solving cancer, but like, honestly, it feels like it at that moment, like the world depends on (laughs) When you have a $200,000 project or half a million dollar project or even a million dollars, oh, it it, it gets up there. You know, you feel like you're solving world peace. Exactly. So let's let's pivot. Those are really good. Uh, let's pivot a little bit. I feel like pivot is like the buzzword for 2020. I'm trying to think of another word to use besides pivot, but please, Lord, help me. I don't know what the other word is. <laughs> like, I don't know. So let's talk about the premiere because we want to get to some event talk. Um, so I know you guys were involved in the LA's finest uh, premiere. And we want to just kind of talk about like how that activation was, like walk us through the steps of that, because a lot of our listeners... Um, they have actually reached out to us and told us that they really enjoy how we break things down and kind of show them the step-by-step of how to kind of do these things on their own as well, or if they're in the agency or their own businesses, just to try to see like, what are the steps um, that they need to, to take to actually be successful in these, in these moments? So um, can you just walk us through what that was that you guys did, the activation, and um, we can walk through from there. Sure. Yeah, I can start by um, I can start with it first. So for LA's Finest, we were working on a campaign for their season two launch on Spectrum. Uh, and so their big their one of their big marketing challenges was the fact that they had a show that was scheduled to premiere literally, I think, like the Monday after George Floyd, you know, was killed by the cops and they were debuting a cop drama. Um, but it was a cop drama and their target was African-American women. Uh, and so rightfully so they at that point, I think their premiere was June something. They were like, OK, we can absolutely can not premiere our show right now we need to kind of take a moment pause rethink our strategy and figure out when it's going to be a new when a new premiere time would be kind of most appropriate and so they did that um when that allowed us also to have a time because at that point they had time that we connected with them since then uh, to be able to work on the campaign and so their whole goal was how do i launch a cop drama in the midst of a time period where, you know, African-Americans, we are not feeling cops. We're not feeling cop dramas. We're not feeling this cop hero trope at all. Uh, and so that was kind of their main marketing challenge because the show, you know, the show still has to go on. And, and thankfully too, they had a show that was, um, 
in the world of cop dramas, most of them are executive produced by white men. They're mostly head writers are white men. A lot of times the casting, I mean, we get, we do a little bit of different in the casting these days, but a lot of times the casting can be white men or white people. And it's these white heroes that have to save the day for all the, save the world from the black and brown criminals that they have in the show. And so luckily their show kind of flipped that on their head. Um, their executive producers was uh, what a, a black guy and a white guy kind of creative partners. The leads of the show were Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba, so two women and women of color. So they actually had a different kind of narrative to kind of enter the space of cop dramas, and they wanted to be they basically wanted to use that the what they built and use that as almost like a marketing tool in itself. So instead of just focus on the fact that you know they have this splashy cop, buddy cop drama, guns and bad guys, they wanted to actually talk about the richness that they had behind the scenes and the fact that they had a team that was really committed and was really committed to sharing story, to making sure that people of color are represented correctly. And so that was kind of our challenge was how to take what they had and turn it into more, uh, to, to expose that to everyone else. And so we kind of pitched them a few content driven um, ideas and content content storytelling ideas where they can have the producers kind of come from behind the scenes, in front of the scenes and talk about not only what it means to make a show like LA's Finest in this in this time period and what's going on right now, but also even talk about the story of what it means to be a person of color in the Hollywood space. Because we all know like, you know, from corporate America, but especially Hollywood, if you're a person of color, you go through many chances where you're the only person in the room that looks like you. Uh, you go through many times where you're the per only person in the room that looks like you and they think that you're, you know, they're not, not no shade to PAs. They might think you're a PA. They might think you're somewhere kind of further down the line when you really might be the DP or the director uh, or the head writer. Uh, and so there's at least a lot of these kind of micro and macro questions that happen in the Hollywood space that they also want to be able to share and say, no, this is our platform for us to talk about what it really looks like to be a person of color in Hollywood. And so that's basically what we did. We created a campaign that gave them a platform to tell their, to, to be transparent and tell what they look like in their experience in the Hollywood space. Um, it's kind of how we, where we started to where we came from. Uh, in terms of the details of what that looked like, that went from, we created a virtual roundtable platform with them. And then we actually partnered with a black, uh, a black owned media company, the Grio. Uh, and then we also partnered with Color of Change, so it's the leading racial injustice uh, organization kind of in the space to not only have this conversation about their show, but have a conversation about industry-wide, what does this look like and what does this look like uh, for representation of black and brown people in the space. So we're able to kind of bring all those voices together in this virtual roundtable and then release it out across digital, social platforms, and as well as kind of across our media platforms, our, the GRIO, as well as Color of Change platforms as well. So that was the, the entire trajectory. And I think that I'm going to say, Lori, did I miss anything in there in terms of the light, the light overview of the trajectory? Great job. Yeah. <laughs> covered it. I never, you always cover it. <laughs> um, so how many ideas do you normally present to a client, you know, based around what their objectives are? I mean, it depends. The great part for them, they were a little bit more focused on like their, their challenge was very uh, focused in terms of we, they knew they wanted to get this story out. And so we presented them for them. We presented a way for them to get their story out. And the options really look like what are the different types of content opportunities and the options were between the different partners. So for them, we presented the real main the main idea was a virtual roundtable, And then we presented a few offshoot ideas in terms of we did something focused on, we presented to them something that was focused on um, just women. So what does it look like to tell the story around being a, a woman of color in the space uh, and kind of the secret sauce of their kind of 
their their show uh, and it being kind of led by women. We did another one talking about like we pitched them another concept about uh, like stunt people of color and what does it look like in the stunt world of color to kind of talk about because that's also another kind of dynamic um, that you don't see or hear about is like what happens when you have to do stunts and there's not a lot of stunt people of color in the space either and they had their own kind of challenges. So we, we still it was our focus was very narrow in the sense that that's, this was the space, but we tried to pitch a couple of different iterations of what that could look like and exploring what the world of Hollywood looked like um, based on people of color, women, and people who are just not, honestly, not white males. Um, so those are the type of projects or ideas that we, we pitched them. Um, and they went with the kind of bigger one, which was the virtual roundtable. They can kind of discuss all of them. Mm -hmm. Now that you guys have the virtual roundtable and that's what you, you know, you're planning to do, what were some of the challenges that you faced in building it out, um, like content-wise, any, any restrictions, like, you know? Even staffing during COVID. Mm -hmm. Yes, all of the above. I feel like COVID is, I mean, COVID and doing virtual production, that those are the biggest challenges. And so like, and then people are everywhere. So, you know, of course we, since, COVID broke and you know you don't necessarily have to be at home at home like we're, you're at home but you don't have to be in your actual day-to-day -day home people were everywhere so the whole idea of like you getting shipping camera kits to people and you know if you're shipping a camera kit to somebody in New York LA or Atlanta easy done once people start going to remote locations and winter and summer homes and all these type of experiences, that makes it a little bit more challenging. And of course, you know, a big thing in COVID is shipping, like the shipping delays and the timing delays and the logistics around shipping things are just challenging COVID because there are lots of delays. If Amazon can't get it to you next day, you know that it's going to be challenging for Papa Creative to get there to you. There you go. <laughs> oh, question. So if you're talking about the kits that you're sending, can you just walk us through like what's in a kit that you would send to um you know your clients in a in a post-covid well in a covid world uh and everybody's doing things in them themselves or at home what what would you send to them so we send kind of a mix of different things depending on the project and the budget of course but the main things were like of course you can do you know a virtual virtual zoom type of experience from your computer but if you wanted to elevate the quality you could send people a, a webcam you could send also people and mic so i know that you all are in the podcasting world of course you use kind of like a mic an actual dedicated mic to record audio so we would send them that and then of course a ring light or any type of lighting source that is outside of like just your windows and the things that you have at home to just elevate the video experience a bit um and so that's kind of based on based on cost is how elevated you can get to kind of make sure that they have a video experience that might not look as COVID-ish <laughs> as it could be. Um, so that's kind of the kits that we would send. Um, but then again, those logistics challenges there because you have to then get kits, you have to send them, then people then have to put them together. Uh, and then that becomes a challenge is directing people to put them together, use, having them use them properly. And then sometimes getting them back <laughs> because you're not in a talent's home, folding it back up and putting it back together. And if they don't have a person who's gonna fold it back up and put it back together, that becomes a different challenge as well. <laughs> All good things to think about. Um, in terms of um, the like background design, did you think about those things? Did you have um, direction given to each person that was recording? Did you have to think about those things? I'm not sure. I mean, we, we, we would like to, but I've given the talent, it was like, no, y'all gonna just get what y'all get. But as long as y'all just are in an area that we don't have to clear, that would be great <laughs> from a production standpoint. So no big logos or anything or like, yeah. 
photography or artwork that we're going to have to clear from a video experience if you don't have that I'll take it <laughs> okay yeah no even with like people's shirts having logos on those and things like that I know that we had to deal with that a lot in our um, brand activations it's interesting though because kind of going back to what we were talking about before you know an experience like past experiences and you know what experience you should have leading up to starting your own business or whatever but a lot of event producers are ha have to put on different hats now because everything is virtual. Yep. So if you don't have a TV production back, now you have to kind of learn how to do all this stuff to explain to your clients how to set things up on their own. Like I was fortunate that I was, you know, I I started off interning at an MTV. Like I, I wanted to go into, you know, TV production. Like I was in the green rooms. I've done stuff, you know, on the tech side and the AV side. So some of this stuff comes naturally. Like I'm able to kind of figure out, you know, learn a program and figure out how to teach somebody else something quickly, but everybody doesn't have that skill set. So do you think it was super important that you guys came from a, I guess, entertainment background? Absolutely. I, I feel like that, that is key. When we talk about the pivot is like, as everything is shifting to virtual, if you don't have some virtual, if you don't have the virtual skill set yet, I feel like now is the time to definitely to get it because now I feel like the world is going to be forever changed. So even though we might go back to business as usual, we're always probably going to have this virtual integration or this virtual layer that's going to go on top of physical production or physical kind of experiences. So now is the time to sharpen up on those skills to make that happen because it's here now and it's definitely not going away. So the more you can do to build that skill set, it's only the, the more lasting and sustaining power that you're, you are going to have as an individual and your business is going to have kind of as an entity that's able to kind of work with clients to get them to their whatever they need in the end. Mm -hmm. were, were there any things like, were you guys like over prepared? Were there things that you guys were expecting to happen that didn't happen? Like anything that you thought was like, oh, it's gonna fall apart. Like we're it's it's a mess, it's a wrap, and then it actually worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we yeah. I mean, I it was one of those projects. Like there were definitely with COVID and with virtual, there are definitely moments where it was like, oh my god, this is gonna this is not working as expected, and this is definitely not working as expected. Like yeah. the shipping was a madness. Like the shipping experience was madness. I never want to relive that shipping experience again. <laughs> But I am so, and I am so glad to be on the other side of the shipping experience. How many pieces did you ship out? So it was, we had nine people. So it was nine kits. And like I said, and it's not, it wasn't about the number. It was just about the locale. So yeah. like all these different locations, all these and tracking different, that. Yes. Yes. Someone was out in the middle of a resort area that is purposely like remote. And so there's only one bridge in, one bridge out. You have to think about all those things. So, and then the bridge was under construction. So then there was like all this delay. It was just, there was just so much <laughs> with trying to do remote shoots and virtual shoots um, that, you know, we had to figure out on the fly and thank God we did. Um, it ended up looking phenomenal at the end of the day. But, but you know, you have to be able to think on your feet and how do we get something to a remote location when the bridge is under construction and there's a time um, sensitive nature of everything, you know, having to maneuver all those parts, you know, um, it was really intense, but that there's only one way in and out and it's under construction like ooh, yeah yeah so so it was like could you imagine like one car going at a time and you're like i'm trying to get this camera equipment and this, this oh, laptop 
to somebody. No, um, I can't. So yeah, I mean, there are definitely, you know, lessons and, and things you can learn from every scenario where things get intense and you have to figure it out. Um, so I think that project helped us, um, you know, when we when we do the, what we call the postpartum, um, yeah. <laughs> because we birthed the baby. Um, when we do the postpartums, you know, we do go through and say, okay, what could have done, what, what could we have done better? How could we learn from this? Um, and, and that's one of those situations. And given that we're in a pandemic still and things still have to be remote or adjusted because of that, we are learning at every stage. So I'm glad that we started this virtual production um, experience when we did on the front end of it on the early side of COVID happening uh, because we've gotten some really great learnings from it that we've applied to future clients. So it's actually been a, a great thing in the end. Would you okay. mind sharing with us um, some of the programs that you used to record? So this was a pre-recorded round table. You had nine people kind of speak on different topics. Um, did you have a camera crew? So did they record in front of their camera, much like we're doing right now? And then you took that file and put it together? Yeah, so it, we actually use Zoom. So there's a couple of programs that oh, we wow. were flirting between. Uh, and one of the ones that we really we got that allowed us to kind of the flexibility was kind of the upper level tiers for Zoom. And so there's a couple of different problems. We explored Zoom. We looked at Teams. We looked at, uh, I can't remember the name of the other one, but it was like a more of a production center one, but it only allowed like four people versus allowing multiple people. Uh, so we looked at a couple of different platforms to make it happen. And Zoom gave us the greatest flexibility to do that. Uh, and so we actually recorded um, content. We recorded through Zoom, but we also recorded content locally as well. So then we we're able to use a mix of like local, local footage as well as kind of Zoom footage footage to kind of help help put it together um so that was key so it, honestly it kind of de depends on what you want to do and how many people and that sort of thing but at the end of the day there are a lot of really great platforms that we probably weren't even looking at these platforms to do these type of skills that always existed um that kind of wrote kind of they i guess they stepped to the stepped up to the table to basically be used and to be used in kind of really different and innovative ways to make it happen like zoom has a lot of and as you all know, has a lot of recording functionality. You can do audio only. You can have video. You kind of get split tracks. So like they have a lot of uh, uh, bandwidth to do a lot of great things in some of these platforms. We just never use them this way. So I feel like all these platforms were like, oh, watch me, watch me work. I got it here. Watch off. <laughs> exactly. Let me flex on you. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> I love it. I love you it. You guys have somebody internally for editing or do you outsource? Like when now that we're in this virtual world and we have to piece these things together, do you have somebody that you already can go to on your team? Oh yeah, for sure. And especially because again, so because we started out being digital and social, the transition to this wasn't, you know, wasn't entire, like this was, this is something that we would do production normally and we do production based in where the output is going to be on digital and social platforms. So that made it easy. We just kind of use our internal resources to kind of make this happen and make the final output happen. So that part didn't change. It was just how we approached the production that changed. Right. And then would you consider this project a success? And what was it that you looked at that said, okay, well, this was successful. For us, a success for us, one that well, for our clients, one of the big things that they wanted to do is they wanted to work with partners and they wanted to make sure they had partners and organizations to um, not only like to broaden the story and broaden the kind of the platforms they can reach. So the fact that, you know, so the fact that they, we got Color of Change, the leading the leading organization of racial injustice to kind of come to the table and participate was a win for them. Uh, a win for us was that we wanted, we kind of pressed them on making sure they, they used a black owned media company because that's something that we're just super passionate 
passionate about is like the space and the role that black owned uh, media companies play in this world. Uh, and so sometimes they don't get their just due, but yet they're the people who are supporting our artists of color and making, making careers out of our artists of color. So we have to make sure when we have partnerships and these things that we go back to these organizations. So we, so getting the Grio was also a, a win. And that was another Northwestern grad who helped us kind of build that partnership internally. So, um, so Courtney Wills. Um, so that was a win for us. And then another win for them was definitely in terms of video views. At the end of the day, uh, you want to create content that people actually see and that people actually see and share and comment on. Um, so for that, we got over 200,000 video views for the content piece as it as it got released on all the partners and talent integration. So that was a big win for us that not only did we create it, that people actually watched it and shared it and commented on uh, commented on it. So that was kind of a big win for us is that the idea that we had to start actually was sticky and shareable enough that people wanted to watch and hear their perspectives. So and um, would you guys do anything different? I feel like we always would have more time. <laughs> more time is always better. Never, yeah, I'm like, that's never good. How happen. long did you have to actually produce it? Um, that's a good, so it was, it, honestly, from the start of the execution down to the, um, down to when it actually released, it was probably about two, it was about two months, two months and like two weeks or so. Uh, but that's literally from when we pitched the idea to when it actually went, went launched. Um, so then all of that is talent, pre-production, all of that. So the pre-production window was definitely very, very accelerated to get this all kind of all done and finished. And then when you start to add partners to the mix and they have their own initiatives that you guys thought, oh, no, no, come, come, come this way. We got to we got to go this way and get everyone kind of aligned that that puts another challenge on there in, ter in terms of timing. That's, yeah, definitely talent is huge because the contracts and making sure everybody finds um, the objectives are aligned and all of that. That's definitely huge to get everybody on the same page. So two months is definitely squeezing it. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it seems like most agencies, that seems like the time frame. It's usually like two weeks to two months. It's not like you have a year. No, definitely not. I've worked on any project where it's been like, oh, we have a whole year. We'll do it next year. Like, well, now with COVID, things get pushed back. But, you know, normally it's usually a tight squeeze. Yeah, I get three weeks and I'm just like, yeah. okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Super. A lot of clients, we tell them we're here for that. It's like, you know, we're your SOS call, like call us, you know, we prefer more time, but a lot of times when they have an idea, it always seems like, okay, we have to rush and get it done. Um, you know, so we're like, we're here for you. Um, but, but if you but, get more time, sometimes it, it gives the client more time to change their mind 50 that's times. That's true, too. So oh, usually it's like a tight squeeze. It's like, all right, we have to do this. We have to do this, you know, whatever. And it's like, all right, deliver. Let yeah. me tell you, managing clients and timelines is such a big part of what we do. Uh, managing the number of revisions. That is such a nuance that you have to learn how to master. As I was going to ask, how do you even manage that? Because, you know, it's a lot of times the clients have their internal teams too that are working hand in hand with you. So like they have their own timeline and their own way of working. Yes. Or you might get feedback from um, different levels of people yeah. in the organization and that can send you kind of on a wild goose chase sometimes, you know, if you don't get all the notes, you know, collapsed and, and being one set of notes from the client, then you could be going around and doing iterations for forever. It was a really enlightening interview because we got to see the vulnerability of Jessica and, and Gabrielle's actual career the positions that they took 
prior to this one and how they felt about it. Cause I've seen them like in all of the past movies that they've done and these were the positions that they were given and they wanted more, you know what I mean? So from all of the commentary that they gave and all of the people involved, was there a comment that you were just like, oh my gosh, this is why we do what we do. Or, oh my gosh, like, can you believe that we captured that realness? Yeah, I feel like one of the big things that stuck with me was like when Gabrielle Union, she was like, when she told that story about how they, when when someone was telling her like, and I assume it was a white person was saying like, oh, you know, Gab's like the other white meat. She was like that sort of thing. And, and, and I feel like the coded language was, she's not black like the other black people. She's black and acceptable to us. And that's the coded language that they were saying, but it came off as like, oh, a joke, Gab. She's like pork, the other white meat. And I was like, I like in my head, the, the fact that you know she's a big star and the fact that someone felt that that was okay and I don't know quite a point in the career that they said that to so the fact that someone thought that was okay to say to her can you imagine the things they're saying to people who aren't big stars who are just kind of getting in here just type of making it what type of experiences they're having versus her and she you know now she's in the space to fight back and say something but they still you know she still gets bullied and you can see kind of like the the headlines of what happens with her too like these stars are still bullied out of not speaking up and not saying that is Mm -hmm. that was my part too you called out the exact thing that shocked me and i was like what in the like what in the world um but you're right black stars and people of color are still getting bullied still getting um compared like you know and in such a negative way to, to other people it's just it's horrible that in 2020 this is still happening um but that's why we fight and that's why gabrielle i think you know was so great about being outspoken about everything because she wants to shine a light on all of this. And thank God for her and others like her um, doing that because we need more people to speak out. Um, you know, people think this only happens in the shadows and with people who might not have as much of a platform as she does, but no, it happens to uh, her as well and other major stars. So I think there's definitely more conversation to be had um, with big time stars, with, you know, people who are not big stars, you know, yet more conversation to be had around this because it's ridiculous. And I think that it's shocking to even white people and, you know, other non-black people, you know, when you hear these stories. It's really sad that the fact that they, they said they called BS. I like the I like fact that Gabrielle yeah. called BS when it needed to be called BS. Like the fact that they were like, oh, there's not enough um, other op- options out right. there and there's not right. other there's not other actors out there. Like she called it. And then Jessica Alba like called it like, just get, it might cost you five cents. It might cost you five minutes just to give an elevated um, space for someone else that may be coming up. So I like I like that conversation and I'd love to see more of it come out. Um, and we're excited to see um, yeah. you take this even further because I know you, you, you're you passionate about it. So it's gonna be fun. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like it's super helpful for people to kind of get that walkthrough of what's expected, especially from the agency side. Um, it's not often that we talk about the agency side. Uh, a lot of people go into thinking like they have to start their own business. So there's only like one route into this, you know, this industry. So there's so many different areas you can kind of fit in. So, you know, we definitely appreciate you ladies for sharing that. But we have 
One more question that we ask every guest um, that comes on. And what is up? We, we offer a party favor. So a party favor is uh, advice or tips or tricks that you would offer to somebody just coming into the um, into your your space, into the industry. So, um, so that they you know, can get them going and make them a success. So is there anything that you guys would offer as a tip or advice? I would just say, you know, um, don't be afraid to start. Um, you know, if you have a passion for this industry, if you're working somewhere else and you're like, oh, I can't really step out on faith yet. It's okay. Start however you can, wherever you can. Uh, but don't be afraid to start. Um, you can find pickup work. You can find contract work. You can volunteer. You can figure out someone who needs help because we all need help these days. Um, and just don't worry about the what ifs. Just push through, get some experience under your belt, and then you can go for bigger and better uh, opportunities in the future. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess my party favorite would be um, just about learning and just like this whole, like, you know, you got to have a kind of this passion, this zest for whatever you're doing. And so you have to really make sure that you're always learning. So even I think that sometimes people, when they first get in, they think, oh, I just, I have to know everything because I, you know, I have to seem like I know everything. And it's like, once you get to the point where you feel like you know everything, it's time to do something different. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Long time coming, and we appreciate it. I know. Yes. Well, thank you. We love what you guys are doing, and thanks for shedding a light on all of these things for everybody you know who's interested and and wants to learn. So, thanks for your contribution. We appreciate it. Thank you for allowing us to crash your party. That's it for this episode. For any of your event production needs, you can always reach out to us on Instagram at the Party Crashes Podcast. Until next time, keep creating.